Today's reading is taken from the book of Ruth, um, chapter 2, and you can find that on page 268 of your Bibles. That's 268. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from uh, the clan of Emelkay, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind, sorry, the leftover grain behind anyone in, in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working uh, in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan Emelkane. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer who, of his harvesters, who does, this woman, who does this woman belong? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather amongst your sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has now remained there from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jugs the men have filled. At this, she bowed down uh, with, her face, with her face to the ground and said to him, and asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told ab about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Now you have left your father and mother and your homeland and come to live in a place with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, who's under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted to and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some, store, some straw from your own bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she thrashed the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to, to, to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out and gave her what she had left after she had eaten. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about, about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today was Boaz. She said, The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. 
She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until, they, until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people around your word. And we pray that this wouldn't just be an exercise in you know, increasing what we know about the scriptures, although we do pray for that. We pray most of all that you would change us by what we see from you this evening. Amen. So if you were with us last week, we saw that the book of Ruth it opens bleakly. It takes place during the time of the judges, uh, where God's people, they don't live for him, um, but instead they do as they see fit. Um, They sin. And rather than drawing near to God, actually a yawning gap opens up uh, between God on the one hand and the Israelites on the other. Um, And you see that more and more as they get invaded and conquered and they experience oppression and famine. But alongside that sort of zoomed out macro picture, um, we saw that the, uh, the micro picture, the sort of zoomed in side um, in chapter one, it was no better. It showed us real mess in real people's lives. Because Ruth and Naomi, they experience loss and tragedy and death and destitution and hopelessness and despair and bitterness. As their lives spiral downwards, um, they feel the effects of sin, and they're victims of living in a sinful world. And it's against that black backdrop that Ruth and Naomi, they return to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Which brings us on to chapter 2, where we are this evening. Now in the first verse, have a look down with me, um, we're introduced to Boaz. We'll come back to him properly later, but keep him at the back of your minds, because the author, they've, they've written this in a way that is supposed to create a question mark in our minds. They're, they're telling a story for us. It's, made, it's there to make us wonder, why are we introduced to this character? I wonder if he'll be significant in the future. But for now, let's just leave him to one side, because it's time for the barley harvest. And village life would have been buzzing. You know, the the hum of activity, it would have just filled the air because the harvesters are on their way. The whole sort of village would have been focused around this event. And so Ruth, she says to Naomi, uh, she said, I think I'm going to have a go at picking up the leftover grain in the fields. Now, of all the things that she could have said that morning, that might sort of strike us as, as a slightly odd thing to say. But actually, the Old Testament law, it provided for people like Ruth and like Naomi Um, Because God, he gave clear instructions. You can read about them in Leviticus chapter 19 or Deuteronomy 24, if you want to later. Um, God, he gave clear instructions that the harvester, they're not to reap uh, right into the corners of the fields. Um, when, When these harvesters go through, they weren't to take the crops from around the edges, uh, nor were they to go around a sort of second time and sweep up anything that they might have missed. The reason for that is because God had compassion 
for the poor and the needy. And so he commanded Israel to allow the poor and needy to follow behind the harvesters and benefit from that leftover grain. Now, there's nothing glorious about this job that Ruth sets out to do. Um, In modern times, it would be a bit like saying to your mum, right, I'm off out, and I'm going to spend the day collecting the pound coins that people forget in their trolleys. Um, And if I collect enough, hopefully we'll be able to eat. That's quite removed from that sort of quaint harvest image that might have sprung to mind, that, um, you know, sort of sounds like a nice idea. A weekend like this, we've got glorious sunshine, you could pop out to a field, we could pick, you know, a little bit of some blackberries from the hedge, or, you know, a little bit of grain here and there. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? It's not like that at all. Because Ruth is putting herself in an environment that opens the possibilities for further hurt and for danger. After all, she's a foreigner, and by and large, people don't like foreigners. She puts herself in a place of physical harm, since she'll be in the company of all these men, and there's a real sense that they might try and take advantage of her. But it's not the what of what Ruth is doing that's so noteworthy in this story. It's actually the how. She's going out to rely upon favor. Have a look down again at verse 2 with me. See what she says. Ruth says, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Ruth, she's teaching us by her attitude and by her actions that God gives any of us everything we need and every opportunity of obtaining what we need. Every single one of those things is an undeserved mercy from the giver of every good and perfect gift. Everything that we enjoy is because God has provided it for us. So this morning, when you woke up, the fact that you had enough synovial fluid in in your joints, that was why you weren't paralyzed with arthritis this morning. The fact that there was enough fluid in your eyes to open them, to Uh, wake up to look out on the world around you and to uh, look out on the beautiful people around you and enjoy that. Um, The fact that we've been able to get here, the fact that we can walk, every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven. And Ruth says, I'm going to go out this day and I'm going to do my best. But I recognize that I'm not going to be able to just, just walk into the community and say, hey, I'm Ruth. Um, what do you have for me? I'm the Moabitess. Uh, Do you do anything for foreigners around here? No. She says, I'm going to go out into the fields and I'm going to see if I can't find favor in the eyes of someone. And so Naomi, presumably looking on her uh, daughter-in-law with affection, she says to her at the end of verse 2, go ahead, my daughter. And so she must have watched her disappear up the road, committed her to the care of God's, as you know, she saw her disappearing with her hair bouncing on her shoulders as she went. I don't know about you, but I like Ruth. Like a lot. I really like Ruth. Because she's not sitting around for some sort of miraculous intervention here, is she? She's out looking for a job. That doesn't sound all that spiritual, does it? Um, I mean, presumably, if she was really spiritual, um, she'd just be sort of sitting somewhere and waiting for God to intervene, you know? 
But no, she's off her backside, she's down the road, and she's gone to find a a job, an opportunity to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. She's hoping to find grace. She's hoping to find favor in somebody's eyes. I reckon Ruth, she'd have been delighted to read that verse in Philippians chapter 2. That verse that goes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because that sounds like That sounds like something you do, right? For it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's not simply that we we sit and we wait for the intervention of God. It's not that we run off and leave God behind. um, But we get up and we do so in the awareness that every benefit we enjoy, every milestone we hit, and every word that is good that we're able to speak is only because of God's grace to us. And God's provision for Ruth, as, as we can see in this chapter, is actually totally undramatic, isn't it? It's certainly not miraculous when you think of some of the stuff that you see God do in the Bible. Um, in fact, from one point of view, it looks like the whole thing happened by accident. The way that it's written, it even suggests that it was an accident. Have a look at the little phrase there in the middle of verse 3 with me. As it turned out... She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. Why was she there? It just happened. It just happened. (laughs) Ruth goes out into a place she doesn't know, into a sort of jumbled patchwork of fields, um, and she just happens to go to the field that's owned by, guess who? Boaz, the guy that was introduced to us back in verse 1. And so what to Ruth was a sort of sheer coincidence, the result of, um, you know, totally unplanned circumstances, we understand, looking now from the sort of vantage point of history and having the revelation of God's word here, we understand that it was part of God's gracious provision for her. Now, this isn't a small thing to understand, and I suspect that we get this wrong, all of us get this wrong in one of two ways. First, there are those of us that think that God's sovereign purpose means that we just need to sit around and wait for him to, like, you know, pull the levers in life. Um, We're like a cork sort of on the surface of an ocean. We get buffeted around the sea, but we don't have any sort of purpose or control ourselves. On the other hand, there are some of those amongst us um, who run around as if our entire future depends on me. Um, you know, if I don't do this and I forget to do that and I don't do that, then I'll never get this. And so we're sort of, we're busting a gut. We're trying to uh, take care of everything in our lives. Both groups, do you see, they're actually as crazy as each other. It's just different sides of the same coin. But no, we have a God who has the whole earth in his hands and who is, according to Ephesians 1, chapter Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he is working all things out according to the purpose of his will, because from him and to him and through him are all things. In other words, God, he's not ultimately concerned about your comfort or my comfort or Ruth's comfort or Naomi's comfort, although wonderfully he provides comfort to each and every one of us. No, he is concerned that we all become what he desires us to be, and ultimately that we be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why 
Even the bad times can be good. Even dark clouds can be purposeful. So, Ruth goes out, and she works in the field belonging to Boaz. And then the boss shows up in verse 4. So what happens when the boss comes? I think we can tell Boaz, he's a nice boss. Because he shows up and he says, good morning, everyone. Uh, The Lord be with you. May God's presence and favor satisfy your souls. It's not bad as bosses go, is it? Um, And they replied, look at the group. May the Lord bless you. It's a great day, isn't it? It's a wonderful day in the neighborhoods. Um, I was saying this morning, you almost expect rainbows and skipping lambs. And, oh, look, Barney the purple dinosaur, he's rocked up too. It's amazing. Uh, The Lord be with you and bless you and you bless the Lord. It's just a wonderful time. Um, It's worth noticing that they're not uh, sort of taking the name of the Lord in vain. They're not profaning it. They're recognizing that God is in everything. Maybe it's not as cartoonish as I've sort of made out just now, but... Boaz approaching uh, his field and his workers like this, I don't think it's formal or for show. I think it's, it's casual and it's sincere. He hasn't got out his phone and said, okay, Google, set a reminder, 7 a.m., greet the harvesters with that usual, the Lord be with you. Um, no, he just said, hey, guys, just look. Um, what a great day. Isn't it amazing that we have a harvest, that we get to work together like this? that we've got the privilege of employment. We've got the opportunity to enjoy working together. May the Lord be with you. And they reply, and may he be with you too. Boaz, he's just a great bloke. Um, We're going to see it more and more as as we go through the book of Ruth. He's he's clearly a good businessman. He's godly. He's charitable. um, He's an upstanding upstanding member of his community. And so it's in this environment, uh, with this sort of a guy, that this lovely encounter then takes place. And what happens between Boaz and Ruth here, it's really fantastic. Because look, he he takes her and he introduces her to the group. He takes her and he sort of shows her around. He shows her where the water cooler is in verse 9. You know, you can get a drink from the water jars over here, he says. How does Ruth respond? She is so overwhelmed by it all that she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? It's not that she's sitting, you know, having a sip of water. That'd be quite nice in this heat, wouldn't it? Um, Going, you know what? I've nailed this. I totally picked the right field. Uh, Wait till I get back to Naomi and just tell her how smart I am. Um, You know, man, I'm good. Just look at me. I'm awesome. No. Every benefit, every blessing, every encouragement along the journey gets the same response from Ruth. She says, Naomi, I think I'll go out and see if I can glean in someone else's field in whose eyes I may find favor. And then she finds favor. And her response is the right one. Look at verse 10. She goes, wow. Why have I found such favor? The whole episode, it it just conjures up this sense of wonder in Ruth. Why did I get such wonderful privilege as this? So actually, in these few verses, you've really got the summary of the whole chapter. Um, You know, she says in verse 2, let me go and find favor. Verse 10, why have I found this favor? And then verse 13, have a look at it. May I continue to find favor. 
that's really it. You know, she sort of goes, I'm going to be in today, and I'm going to ask God for favor. And when I discover his favor, I'm going to say, why should I have discovered this favor? And then having discovered your favor, God, I want to discover more of your favor. And of course, you know, what tremendous favor and provision she gets You know, we we could go on and on, but have a look at verse 15, where Boaz gives out those instructions to his men. Uh, He says, you know, even if she kind of messes up and and gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Uh, Pull out some stalks for her from the bundles. Leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And so Ruth, she goes gangbusters. Um, She she gleans the field all day until the evening. Uh, She threshes the barley, whatever that is, um, and she gathers it. And she's got this huge, great big sack, um, you know, this huge, big, great big thing. Uh, Owen read it out for us. Apparently, it's an ether. Um, you know, your footnote probably says the same as mine, which is it's three-fifths of a bushel, which is, you know, just wonderfully helpful. Um, but, you know, apparently, it's also about 22 liters. In fairness, it does say that. But that's, that's quite hard to sort of wrap your head around anyway, isn't it? But the, the, the point is, this is a big bundle of stuff, Right? Um, that's, it's not hard to see that that's, that's the point that's being made. So Ruth, she went off in the morning with diddly squat, and she comes back with this huge big thing. She's coming back down the streets. Naomi had watched her go, and now she's watching her come back. She puts the bundle down, and Ruth tells her mother-in-law um, about the one in whose place she'd been working. Um, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her, Boaz. And Naomi says, may the Lord bless him. Do you see how the blessings sort of come round? Boaz, he went out into the field in the morning. And he said to his workers, the Lord bless you. And they say, the Lord bless you too. But now Boaz, he's, he's off. He's enjoying his evening somewhere else. But far removed from him, an unknown widow is praying down the blessing of God onto him. That same man. And you see that in this coming in where Ruth goes back home. Uh, It's just this um, animated conversation between these two ladies. It it, it just strikes me as so real. You know, you you can tell Ruth, she she can't wait to explode with it all. Naomi's running around and grabbing the wine glasses and being like, do I need tissues on standby? You know, I'm just in the other room. Let me grab that. Don't don't carry on. I want to hear everything. I don't want to miss a detail. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the day, and it's he said, she said, she said, he said, what did you say, and then what did she say, and where did you go, and he took me to the water cooler, and how did that feel, and uh, actually he said to me, you can stay with my workers, and Naomi said to Ruth, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, you notice that, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed, blessing after blessing has been poured out here. Nothing supernatural. It all looks totally, totally ordinary. In fact, actually, Ruth and Naomi's situation, in many ways, is just as precarious as ever, because the the, the harvest, it'll come to an end at some point. Um, It won't won't be a final solution. But there is good news. There's much more resolution to come as we look at the last two chapters in the next few weeks. Not least from the fact that Boaz is their kinsman redeemer. But more of that in future weeks. The point is, can you feel just the joy and the wholesomeness of this story in chapter 2? 
Well, so what? Why do we need that? Um, you know, I reckon you could, there were two contenders. You could either keep verse 1 of chapter 2 or uh, verse 20 of chapter 2. Um, and you could bin the rest. And the, the book of Ruth, it would still all make sense. So why do we have the other 96%? Why has God bothered to include that in his word to us? It's because God, the provider of all good things, he wants us to know that that's who he is. He wants us to live in light of his favor. He wants us to see that he works his purposes, even in the bleakest of times, through godly men and women, like Ruth and like Boaz, And we see that. We see it most fully and most wonderfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he is the man who lived the godly life. Jesus is the man who always glorified his father and always thanked him for all his blessings. Jesus is the godly man through whom God works his purposes. Do you know what the highest promise of the good news about Jesus is? The highest promise is that if you're a Christian... You become a child of God. That means you start to look like your older brother, Jesus. It will become, your life will become Jesus-shaped. So actually, you too will learn to rely on God's favor. You too will learn to live faithfully for God. You too will trust God, even in the deepest mess and darkest times. And so that's our prayer for for today, right? Um, That we, like Ruth, would seek God's favor, marvel at his favor, and then seek more of his favor. That we'd be conformed to that Jesus-shaped pattern of a life lived by grace. So how can we do this? Um, Well, I'm going to suggest a short and simple prayer that can start to um, get us in this mindset and start to help us ask God to make us like this. So here it is. Tomorrow morning when you get up, just pray. Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Seek God's favor. Ask God to make you spiritually expectant and ambitious. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Seek a heart that... Always, when you receive favor, ask, why? Who am I to receive this favor from God? Ask God to help you feel thankful and in awe of him. Because it's right to give him thanks and praise. Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Seek a heart that craves more of God's favor. Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this this story in Ruth chapter 2. Thank you that it gives us insight into how you work, what a good and giving God you are. And we pray that, like Ruth, we would learn to seek your favor. We pray that we'd remember it's by grace that we receive your favor. And we ask that you'd help us to deeply know that we don't deserve it. We pray that that would put us in awe of you. 
And we asked that we, would, we wouldn't be satisfied that we'd crave more of your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Straight in then, Alex, top-voted question, thinking about this idea of God's favor that comes up a lot in the passage. How can we tell the difference between coincidence and God's favor? I think the passage is pointing out that there isn't coincidence. Like, you know, there's, it, it seems like that to, to Ruth, and the, the storyteller, they're clearly trying to show you that it, it just looks ordinary, but... You know, the implication is God's there, he's pulling the strings. I think um, a verse that, that just spells this out is in Acts uh, 17, if you want to flick that up. Um, Acts 17, verse 31, off the top of my head. But I've, uh... Has anyone got a page number they can shout out? Thank you. Uh, not 31. Where is it? It is... Ah, here we go, verse 26. Uh, So, Paul is saying, From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So, I don't know. I don't know how you can read that, and if you believe in the God of the Bible, think that there's such a thing as coincidence. It feels like it to us, because we see things from our point of view, day to day, stuff seems random, but it's not problem is we only know here because God has told us and we get that benefit of seeing it a few thousand years later and more importantly God's told us yeah really helpful um and so now expanding on God's favor a couple of questions thinking about what does what does that mean what does it look like to find favor um can you ex- expand on what it means by favor is it the same as seeking God's blessings mm. um Yes, it is the same as seeking God's blessings, but I guess I'd pose the question, what is God's biggest blessing? It's himself, right? Like, he's given us Jesus to come and be with us as a human and take on our humanity. He's given us his spirit to live inside us, and he's done all that to bring us to him, the Father, that we can pray to him and one day see him face to face. Um, so he himself is his biggest blessing. So I, I think it's a slight false um, you know, it's slightly false to sort of pitch up seeking God's favor versus seeking God. I don't think they're opposed. What that then means, though, is if we're seeking God's favor, it means that we're seeking to enjoy all the everyday blessings that he gives, the stuff that he does for us, in the context of he is God who gives him, me himself and loves me and provides for me. And, yeah, we, we do that rightly. Mm. I, I think that's, that's what favor is in the Bible. And that's really helpful for the question saying, is that the same as seeking God's blessings rather than him himself? And you're saying, well, it's both together. Mm. And actually his blessings kind of point us to him. So enjoy his blessings that take us to him and show us the creator and giver of all things. Yeah. Which, you know, that works on on like the sort of, if I'm thinking about a big theological truth, like, oh, my sins have been forgiven. What a blessing. That's not God himself, is it? But how can I think about that without being like, oh, God has died in my place? What a marvel. But then also, to the totally mundane and everyday, like a glass of water on a hot day. Oh, thank you, God, for inventing water mm. uh, and quenching thirst. And, yeah, like how, how can you not enjoy that rightly? Um, yeah. And I guess the challenge 
to see him through the blessings and favors that we experience yeah. every day, the normal everyday blessings yeah. and favors. Really helpful. Um, last question then. Sorry if this is a stupid question. I feel, feel like I always start my questions like that as well. I'm sure it's not a stupid question. Before meeting Boaz, did Ruth expect to find favor based on her physical attractiveness? Did she go to the fields expecting to be taken advantage of? If so, why? So I think there's a couple of things going on there. Because um, did she... Let's, let's take the last bit first. Um, because, you know, why do it in order? Um, did she expect to go into the fields at, and be taken advantage of? Potentially. Like, I, th- I think it's quite explicit in the, in the story. Like, that's, that's a possibility. Like, could, could she have been attacked or worse? You know, I, th- I think that is possible. Um, and the Bible doesn't shy away from that truth. Uh, did she go out expecting... Can you read the first bit again? Before meeting Boaz, did Ruth expect to find favor based on her physical attractiveness? So... That's from someone presumably like looking ahead and seeing where the book of Ruth goes and ends up. Um, I think no. I think for two reasons. Uh, the first is that you only actually get uh, three good-looking people in the Bible. As far uh, four, four actually. Uh, you've got uh, Esther, who's so beautiful that uh, King Xerxes, isn't it? I think Xerxes, whoever it is, is like, yep, you can join my harem. Uh, and it explicitly said she's beautiful. You get King Saul, who he's super good looking and he's a, a foot taller than everyone else. Great. You've got uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, who's so good looking that when they enter a new country, the sort of king is like, oh, I've got to have her as my wife. Um, and then you have Bathsheba, who was so good looking, having a shower on the roof, that David was like, got to have me that. Um, Sorry, that was really crass, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) But in other words, what I'm trying to say is there's nothing to suggest that Ruth was a looker. Like, there's nothing at all to do that. She could have been incredibly plain. Um, That's what I'd say for starters. So I don't don't think necessarily that's there. But I think the more compelling thing, actually, from the verses um, is... Oh, Absalom, he was good-looking as well. He had nice hair. Anyway, um, I think the real compelling thing is verse 11, which we didn't really touch on. Um, What is it that Boaz notices about her? He's heard the story about what Ruth has done for Naomi, um, and it's her character that compels him to to act the way that he does, as well as his general godliness, and he's a great guy. Um, So, yeah, I I, I don't think that that's going on here. If you want to chat about that more, let's chew the cud. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks so much, Alex. And as 